Imagine you haven't drunk anything for 24 hours. Your mouth is as dry as a desert. You're feeling faint. You're feeling dehydrated. One of these drinks will quench your thirst beautifully. The other will leave you thirstier than you were before. They look the same, but one will, thirst your, well, will quench your thirst beautifully. The other will leave you thirstier than you were before. Why? Because, yes, well done. One is pure, fresh spring water. The other, even though it looks the same, is salt water from the Indian Ocean. Actually, from North Cottesloe Beach, where I got it this afternoon. You wouldn't try and quench your thirst with salt water, would you? Because it would leave you even thirstier than you were before. A shipwrecked sailor can be floating in an ocean filled with trillions of litres of water and never quench his thirst because the water is salt water. Now, you and I in life can chase things that look like they're going to quench our thirst. They promise pleasure. They promise to fill the void in our hearts. They promise to soothe the ache in our soul. But they can't deliver because they're salt water. We taste them and they do not quench our thirst. They cannot ultimately satisfy. In fact, they leave us thirstier than we were before we drank from them. Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. He says, Thirst, come, drink. Jesus is promising to be the elixir of life. What does he mean? He then says, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. He says, Thirst, come, drink, overflow. Have you experienced rivers of living water flowing within you? What should that experience be like in the Christian life? Well, we're going to look at those important questions this evening. Before we do that, we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to begin with to uh, pray for those, some of those things in your life that are on your heart and you'd like to spend some time with the Lord. And they're going to lead us in prayer for some of the humanitarian crises around the world. And I'm going to lead us in prayer for the Ukraine refugee uh, appeal. So please join me in prayer. I'll give you the first few moments to pray to the Lord just between you and him. Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray, that our prayers don't go up into the atmosphere and disappear, but you hear our prayers and you are pleased to answer them. Father, I do pray for the humanitarian crises that 
are going on all across the globe. We pray particularly right now for the Horn of Africa where there are 50 to 80 million people at risk of starvation. And Father, it's not something that we know anything about here in Australia, but Lord, it's a very real thing in the lives of many. And so, Lord, we just pray for those aid agencies on the ground, Lord, that can get food and, and, and supplies to those that need it. We pray for a ceasefire in the, in the wars that are, are causing this and contributing to this crisis. We pray for those in, the, in Yemen, Lord, who are also on the brink of starvation, those in Afghanistan. The poorest of the poor, Lord, always affected by war and by the cruelty of others. And so, Lord, we just pray that uh, your people would give generously and your people would get uh, food and supplies to those who need it. Father, we pray for the International Church of Bucharest and our contact there, Nicole, and for the work that they're doing in getting uh, suitcases and practical needs to those who need it uh, in Romania and neighbouring countries for the Ukrainian refugees, Lord, we just pray that they would be looked after. We pray, Lord, as they experience the love of Christians, that they might come to know you through this, that you might bring good out of this bad situation. We do pray for an end to the conflict that now has been going on for so long, and we ask, Lord, that it would come to an end. Father, we are so dependent on you in every way, and we ask, Lord, that as we come before you this evening, as we sit under your word, Lord, that you would feed us, that you would quench our thirst, that you would give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll be in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 this evening. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, that'll be fantastic. We will have some text behind me. But we're going to be looking at John chapter 7 verse 11 to start off with. And we read this. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? The festival that's referred to here is the Jewish festival of tabernacles. Tabernacles is just a fancy name for a tent. Uh, the festival was prescribed by God in Leviticus. And it was one of three festivals that the Jewish people were required to go to every year. The other two were Pentecost and Passover. And at the end of harvest time, which was a great time of celebration if, uh, in an agrarian society, right? You've done all the hard work of harvesting. They were to come, all the Jews were to come together from around the nation, from beyond the nations. They were to come and they were to celebrate in Jerusalem for eight days. It's an eight-day public holiday. It's not bad, right? Eight days of festivities in order to celebrate and thank God for his provision. And during that week, they would reenact that time that they were in the desert and God was providing for them when they actually lived in tabernacles, these temporary shelters. And so they would live in these temporary shelters for the week to remember that time when God looked after them in the desert. And there were two key ceremonies that were celebrated during the festival, one during the night and the other during the day. 
which were not prescribed in the Old Testament law, but they developed over time as part of Jewish tradition. The nighttime ceremony was called the kindling of the lampstands. And each afternoon, four apprentice priests would climb ladders 25 meters high, right? They got the apprentice to do it. And also, no harness, right? So it wouldn't, wouldn't pass occupational health and safety today. But they would climb these 25 meter ladders and they would light giant, four giant candles. And they would fill, they would pour oil into that bowl that you can see. And these lanterns would burn all night. These candlesticks would burn all night. And because the, the, the temple was on top of a hill, it illuminated the whole of the city. There wasn't a courtyard in Jerusalem that was not illuminated by the light. And the people would celebrate in the glow of the temple and they would be dancing and they would be singing and they would be praising God and there'd be trumpets and there'd be no electric guitar but there'd be trumpets. And they would, they would celebrate all night until dawn. Right? All the nightclubs, they're all shut, they're all closed, but these guys are still going and they would do it every night for seven nights. And the light from these giant candlesticks symbolized God's presence in the pillar of fire when God was in the desert guiding them out of the darkness. Right? You, can, you can see it's symbolizing this pillar of light. And so the, 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 the temple is all lit up and it's against this backdrop that Jesus spoke on the last day of the festival. Perhaps it was when the, the lampstands were burning at their brightest. Perhaps it, he waited until the lamps were extinguished. But he says, for all to hear... I am the light of the world. He doesn't just say, I'm the light of the world out of nowhere. He says it with these lamps burning behind him, this, this festival of the lampstands. And Jesus' declaration must have come with stunning force. He's saying, this festival of lights, it points to me. I am not a light which any teacher could claim, but I am the light. I'm not a light for Jerusalem. I'm a light for the whole world. He's saying, I am the great light who the prophet Isaiah predicted would come to bring the lost out of darkness. We read that in Isaiah 42. I will make you to be a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Jesus is saying to these Jewish people, he's saying, that's me, I am that light. I am the Messiah that you've been waiting for. But he's claiming to be more than the Messiah because he says, I am the light of the world. I am, that's the name of God in the Old Testament. He's saying, just as God was in that pillar of fire, I am God in the flesh right now. And just as God was in the pillar of fire guiding you to the promised land, I am God in the flesh who's going to guide you to everlasting life. And then in John chapter 9, he heals the man born blind to demonstrate that he is who he said he was. Jesus then says, 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In a big church in the States, they've got this big auditorium, thousands of seats, and every once in a while, a bird gets caught in the auditorium and gets trapped. And they're very keen to get rid of the bird. One, because it messes everywhere, right? And Mrs. Jones doesn't like sitting in the mess. And secondly, they like to get rid of the bird as soon as they can because no one can concentrate during the sermon, right? Everyone's sitting there going, huh, what, I wonder what kind of bird that is. I wonder how that bird got in here. Will they, will they ever get that bird out? So they want to get rid of the bird as soon as they can. Uh, to get rid of the bird, they don't shoot it out of the sky with a gun. I thought they might. It's America. They don't do that. What they do is they turn off all the lights, pitch black, and then they turn an exit light on, and the bird instinctively will fly, will fly to that light and is free. Jesus is saying, I am the light that will set you free. He's saying, if you're in a dark place right now in your life, come to me. I am the light. I am the, I am the way out of your darkness. I'm the way out of the darkness of your fear. I'm the way out of the darkness of your sadness, of your sorrow. I'm the way out of the darkness of death that hangs over you. I am the light of the world. The audacity to stand there in front of the whole the Jewish population and say, I am the light of the world, but that's what he says. So the kindling of the lampstands was the evening ceremony. There was a ceremony during the day called the outpouring of the water. I don't know if many of the young adults got up for that one, right? They would have been dancing all night. I don't know how many of them got to the day ceremony, but uh, the oldies who wake up early, no matter what time they go to bed, they got up for it. And every day, for seven days, priests would lead a musical procession down the steep hill from the temple to the pool of Siloam. Uh, and there would be a big procession that would go down there. Uh, and a priest would fill a golden flask with water. And then he would return to the temple through the water gate to the outer court. To enter the inner court, they would then ascend these 15 steps. And on each of the steps, they would sing a psalm. Do you know what psalm they sang? The psalm of ascents. Yeah, I only found this out recently. So they, they, every step, they would sing a psalm of ascents. If you go to your Bible and you look up Psalm 120, up to 134, there are 15 psalms, like there are 15 steps. And this is where... Uh, they sang this psalm of ascents. The priest would then pour out the water onto the altar at the t in the temple court, which was accompanied by singing and chanting from the people. Following this, this great silence would drop, would descend on the people as they reflected on what the significance of this ceremony was. And the significance was that when their ancestors were in the desert, where there is no water, that's what a desert means, right? There is no water. When they were in the desert, where you can't last 24 hours without water, God provided for them for 40 years. And he did it in a very strange way. He had water come out of a rock. It's in this context, with all this water ceremony going on, that we read in John chapter 7, verse 37, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
Perhaps it was at the very moment when that customary hush fell on the people as they're holding their breath at the drama of the celebration. Jesus dramatically captures the moment and he turns it to himself. He's saying, I am the reality that this water ceremony points to. I am the water that will quench your thirst. I am the water that will provide for you. Now, the effect of this statement, right? You've been going to this ceremony year after year. You're a faithful Jew. And then this guy you don't know gets up and says, I am the light of the world. I am the one who will quench your thirst. When he said that, that must have been momentarily paralyzing, I think, for those listening. They're like, what? The audacity of the guy. It was God who provided water from the rock. But Jesus doesn't say, come to God and drink. He says, come to me and drink. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, they have this really, this really weird verse. When Apostle Paul says, our ancestors drank the same spiritual drink. Ancestors, those are the ones in the, in the desert. They drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So the rock that gave them the water, Paul says, that was actually Christ in the desert. Jesus says, I was the rock that provided for your thirst, and I am the rock that will provide for your thirst in the desert in your life. He says, come to me and you will be satisfied. He says, I'm so real, I'm so all-consuming that if you lose everything in life, but you still have me, your thirst will be quenched. The Rolling Stones sang a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Uh, it was voted number two song of all time by the Rolling Stones magazine. So I think they might have had a bit of pecuniary interest in that. But number two song of all time. Jesus promises to give us what the Rolling Stones say that they can't get. And that's true satisfaction. Jesus says, thirst, come, drink. Every soul thirsts. Now we may not feel it at every moment, but every one of our souls thirsts. But we don't all thirst in the same way. I think there are three types of thirst. There's the thirst of the empty soul, the thirst of the dry soul, and the thirst of the satisfied soul. I want to quickly go through them. You, you think about which one is more like you. The unbeliever's soul is the empty soul. Because they don't know God and they are constantly looking for something, anything to fill the void where God has designed himself to be. But they're unable to fill this emptiness. The empty, empty soul is so lost that it is unable to see its real thirst and so it seeks satisfaction in all the world offers in, the, in God's gifts but not in God himself. One writer says this, just because a man longs for something that can be found in God alone doesn't mean he's looking for God. Many who claim they are questing for God are not thirsting for God as he has revealed himself in Scripture, but only for God as they want him to be or a God who will give them what they want. The empty soul will continue to look in vain 
until the Holy Spirit enables them to, uh, them to understand where their real thirst is, the source of their thirst, and enables them to find the only one who can satisfy. Maybe you're here this evening, you're, you're thirsting for peace. Maybe you're thirsting for forgiveness. Maybe you're thirsting for the freedom of, of that sin that's controlling you right now. You need to come. Jesus says, thirst, come, drink. Jesus says, I'm the only source of soul-satisfying water in this world. And whether you are successful, you're the top of the tree, like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, or whether you're the bottom of the tree, like the woman from Samaria in John chapter 4, whether you're top of the tree or the bottom of the tree, Jesus says, I am the answer to your thirst. Thirst, come, drink. The thirst of the dry soul is a thirst that is felt by believers who are right now in a dry place spiritually and uh, whose soul is crying out for refreshment. Perhaps that's you today. Why do you find yourself in a dry place? Perhaps you've been drinking too much from the cisterns of the world with its dead-end enticements and not from the fountain of God. Perhaps you've been overcome by the cares and concerns of the world. Perhaps you're fatigued mentally, physically. Perhaps you've been focusing too much on your own world and turning your thoughts away from God. Today, Jesus says, come to me and drink. Ask him and he will refresh you, renew you, fill you. Thirst, come, drink. And thirdly, there's a thirst of the satisfied soul. See, the satisfied soul still thirsts for God, but they thirst for God precisely because they are so satisfied in God and so they thirst for more of that which satisfies. Is that you? The love and affection that you've received from God stimulates your desire to taste Him even more. Consider this uh, beautiful prayer from A.W. Tozer. He says this, O God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. O God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made thirsty still. What a beautiful prayer. Will you pray that prayer with me this week? I thirst to be made thirsty still. There was a lady whose life had been so difficult in recent years. Her husband of 17 years divorced her, left her with pretty much nothing, and she had to file for bankruptcy. And she'd always taken care of herself physically. A couple of years ago, she had run a marathon. But lately, she'd been dealing with painful arthritis and, and she, at times she couldn't even walk let alone run she had experienced so much loss but she didn't sound like a woman who was in despair who, or who was defeated she said this through all of this I've discovered a life in Jesus I never knew was possible before 
I didn't realize Jesus was what I really wanted until Jesus was all I had. She spent countless hours drinking salt water. And right when she, she felt she might die of thirst, she turned, to to, turned around to find right next to her the spring of living water. And she was filled. Jesus says, thirst, come, drink. As well as looking back, the festival also looked forward, right? The pouring of the water also looked forward to the time when the Spirit would be poured out, when the Messiah would come. And so this festival had a great messianic expectation. It's with this backdrop that Jesus says in verse 738, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus is saying, again, this festival points to me. You're waiting for the Messiah, the one who's going to pour out the Spirit. I am the Messiah and I'm about to pour out the Spirit. And he says, this living water that flows into you, it doesn't stay in you. It's running water. It's flowing water. You are not a bucket. You are not a reservoir, but you are a fountain, a fountain that turns into a river. See, when we come to Christ, not only do we have our thirst quenched, but we become the fountain and river of living water to those around us. We channel life to the world. It's springing within us. It's gushing out of us to thirsty souls all over the world. That is the impact of a believer on the world. Are you having that impact? Who can tell me what uh, this is called? Mitchell Falls. Have you been there? Anyone else been there? This is in our own backyard, right? This is in uh, northwest Western Australia, up in the Kimberley. Thank you. It's a beautiful, grand, cascading waterfall, isn't it? It flows down four tiers of mesmerizing emerald pools where waters just tumble from one pool to the next. I think this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus has just said. God the Father is the fountain of life and love. And his life and love overflow to the sun in an inexhaustible stream. And then that life and love flows to you and I in an inexhaustible stream by the Spirit. All we do is sit under this cascading fountain of life and love and we get drenched in it and then it overflows from us to a thirsty world around us. After Jesus died and rose again, he was glorified in heaven and what did he do? He sent the Spirit out on his disciples he sent that living water out and that living water flowed into the 12 disciples the 12 apostles and at Pentecost that living water flowed out of the disciples into 3,000 and that living water flowed out of the 3,000 through 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the authorities try to stop this flow. They killed Christians. They put them in prison, but they couldn't stop the flow because it was a tsunami. And men and women have willingly given up their lives and gone across the world, given up their lives to share this living water as far and wide as possible. And these living waters overflowed all the way to Australia and they got here in 1788. And we are the great south land of the Holy Spirit. And these, this life and love flowed all the way to Perth in 1829 and has come down through the generations to you and to me. But this living water doesn't stop in us. It's running water. It's flowing water. You're not a reservoir. You're not a bucket. You are a fountain that becomes a river and overflows to the world. Thirst, come, drink, overflow. Amen. Let's pray. We've come now to a time of communion, so we're going to I just give you a moment to reflect on what's just been said. We come to the Lord's table. If you're here this evening and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you have never experienced. the quenching of your soul, the satisfying of your soul, then tonight, please, ask the Lord Jesus and he will satisfy your soul. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a moment for you to be able to do that. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you know that you're in a dry place spiritually right now, Jesus says, thirst, come drink. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer to ask the Lord for that as well. Father, I do pray for these precious people here this evening, for those, Lord, who don't yet know you, who have not had their soul satisfied, who have not had their thirst quenched. I pray, Lord God, that they might come to you tonight. If that's you, why don't you pray along with me right now? Dear God, I want to have my thirst quenched. I want to come to you tonight. I'm sorry for pushing you out of my life. I want to put you first in my life from now on. If that's you, know that the Lord has heard your prayer. If you're here tonight and you're, you know you're in a dry place spiritually, let me pray for you. Father, I just pray for each person here tonight who is a believer. But right now, the, the, they need refreshment, Lord. Perhaps, Lord, they've been drinking too deeply from the fountains of the world, overcome by the cares and concerns of the world, turning their thoughts away from you. I just pray, Lord God, that they would come to you and drink. Please fill them with living water. And I pray for us as a church, Lord, that Subi Church might be a place where this living water flows, that this church might, might not be a bucket, it might not be a reservoir, but it will be 
a fountain that becomes a river and overflows to the community around us. Please use us as a church to reach the thirsty. In Jesus' name, amen.